And we're live. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to Respawn Name Fire, the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast from Affable Idiots. We are talking today about Bioshock Infinite. This is a side quest for Barf. Backlog accomplishment with Respawn and friends. Speaking of friends, I'm Chad Michaelinis. We've got Holden DePardo over there in Rhode Island. Hello. And we've got Matt from Rhode Island over there also in Rhode Island. Say hey, Matt. Hey, what's up? You guys know Matt. He's the best. Um, we oh, played Bioshock so Infinite this month for Barf. Um, it is the third Bioshock installment that we've played as part of Barf. It is the third in the world that exists as a Bioshock installment as well. And uh, goddamn what a fucking amazing game this is. That's all I'm going to say right now as we start. Uh, I want to get top-level impressions from you guys, and then we'll go. I got, like, history of it, all this kind of stuff, some, like, facts about it, and then we'll discuss the game in, in depth. Uh, so, yeah, I fucking loved this game. It is some, this game has single-handedly, and its DLC, cemented it as my favorite game franchise of all time. Like, the three of these games together. Uh, what did you guys think? Let's start with Holden in your dark, gloomy corner. So, <laughs> I, um, speaking of dark and gloomy, I'm not quite as positive, I think, as, as you on this one. I, I, I was thinking masterpiece levels, and then I got to the end, and I'm kind of like, didn't, didn't like the ending that much. And by extension, because of that ending, I didn't really like Burial of Sea either. And I'll go more in depth on that in the podcast. But, like, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I absolutely, like, throughout the game, I'm going, this is hands down the best Bioshock period and then just the end of kind of like yeah i really like the game love the game would highly recommend the game i'm just not super crazy about the ending of the game matt uh i loved it i i'm with you chad i think it kind of cemented it as my favorite uh video game franchise like all together as one um definitely i i remember i played it on the 360 when it first came out and I remember it being my favorite Bioshock game. And I remember all these years, like even with the, the remastered version coming on PlayStation and everything, I remember me thinking, you know, continuing to think that. And I was like, well, I wonder if it actually holds up. And now being able to go back and actually play it uh, again and get like a refresher on it, it absolutely is my favorite of the three. Um, Burial at Sea 1 and 2, we'll talk about it in depth, but... It really does a great job of tying up the entire, I mean, not even just Infinite and, and explaining more and giving more backstory to Infinite that's useful and not just fluff, but it really ties up the entire franchise as one. It's, a, it's, an, it's amazing, and it's super fun to play as well. Yeah, I'm in the same boat where I, I had played it back on PS3 when it came out in 2013. I remember being real high on it then, too. And then just ha just re-remembering it now. It's amazing how much of that that I forgot in seven years. Uh, Holden, this was your first time playing it, though, right? Yes. Every Barf has been my first time playing that game. I joked, so. I joked earlier that Barf is just me watching Holden play new games or play old games for the first time because <laughs> I've played like 80% of the games we played for Barf already, but I just love watching you play them and experience them through your eyes. <laughs> Uh, I've got a couple Especially of things banjo, about. Where I just shit all over it. <laughs> Did you shit all over banjo? I don't even remember. Last no, month just, was a blur. Just the end of it. Just the stupid fucking quiz game. Oh, that's right. The, the quiz that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have I a couple of things banjo, to say about the development of it, all that kind of stuff. It was released March 2013. March 
26, 2013. So yesterday was the seven-year anniversary of this game. Happy birthday. Uh, it was developed by Irrational Games, published by 2K Games, with Ken Levine working as a creative director. Interestingly enough, this was... Uh, Ken and Irrational Games passed on doing Bioshock 2, so they didn't want to do a sequel yeah. to Bioshock, and instead, at the same time, said, we want to make a different Bioshock. So Bioshock 2 and Infinite were developed in tandem, like, at the same time. Uh, they were working on it for several years, since 2008 up until 2013, so five years. Um... Everything was developed from scratch. There were no reused assets from Bioshock 1, which was really interesting, even for Burial at Sea. So they even like recreated parts of Rapture for that. Um, as it neared release, numerous materials such as vigors, tear mechanics, weapons, locations, characters, and other enemies were cut from it. And the claim, there were claims that enough material for five or six games had been scrapped during that process, which was really fascinating. And you could tell... Wow. Um, an interesting story that I read while I was trying to figure out something about like whether you could actually buy a vigor... Do you guys remember seeing all around the place that there were there's places to pick up salts to refuel your vigors, but then you could also pick up other vigors again, and it would just do the same thing? Yeah. Uh, apparently, and this was part of the E3 demo too, before the game released, they had it basically, instead of a, you have a vigor and you can use it as many times as you want as long as you have salt, it was more of a, you picked up five bucking broncos, you can use bucking bronco five times. Which is why you had them oh. littered all over the world, and then they changed the way that worked pretty close to release, and then they're like, well, we'll just fucking leave all those and just make them salt again. It, Which it, is it why in the first though, area... Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, in the, in the first area, you can buy Bucking Bronco. Well, Bucking Bronco is for sale, but you don't have enough money to buy it, and that's why. It was, the, it was there was part of the E3 demos. Like, you could buy this one use of Bucking Bronco during the demo. So that was pretty interesting. That like a lot of this game was like cut or reworked pretty close to release. That is super interesting. Which cool about that too is, I always thought that oh that's cool world building because they wouldn't just have one bottle of Bucking Bronco around. Yeah. They'd be all over the place. So I thought it was like oh it's good world building. It's actually kind of cool that came from a change of development. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are talking today about Burial at Sea as well, which is the DLC that was released in two parts. Over uh, November twelfth was the first part, and then March twenty fifth. Can you imagine having to wait? Like six months in order to play. It was no. what? No, it was eight months. Eight months in order to play Burial at Sea One. Actually, that would be fine for me because Bioshock Infinite. We'll talk about this more in a little bit. I felt like Bioshock Infinite itself is complete, and then knowing that Burial, Burial at Sea came later, I was like, oh, I don't know what more story I need. And then as soon as I got part one of that, I was like, fuck, I need part two right now. So I can't imagine waiting from November to March for part two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense that six month gap. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll elaborate later on. Sorry. Uh, I only have like one more thing before we talk like about our own experience with it. One is that it was criti critically regarded as one of the top games of the generation for that uh, round of consoles. It sits at a 94 on Metacritic right now for PS4 and the Xbox, or sorry, and the PC version, 93 for Xbox. Uh, and it received 10 out of 10s from a lot of major outlets. Unfortunately, that year, while it was nominated for a ton of shit, it went up for Game of the Year against Last of Us. So obviously, it lost. Um, yeah. But what's interesting about that is being at 94, I remember the, like the conversation. Critically, it was getting praised. It was getting praised a lot. But I remember the conversation like among the community and among, among just like regular consumers being like, oh, man, it's, it's a departure from the original Bioshock. And the horror elements are missing. And it's like the black sheep of the family is what a lot of people kind of – I remember people talking about it, even though I myself was like really high on it. So like to go back and see that critics were really high on it was – Interesting. 
Yeah. With that, I want to jump into differences between it, like how does this compare Bioshock Eminent from the original Bioshock 1 and 2, and whether you guys like those changes. I, I love the changes, personally. Like I, Gameplay-wise, I prefer Bioshock Infinite. I thought that the skyline rails and all that was just sick. That was so much fun. Um, really, we're talking about gameplay specifically, not the story, right? Yeah, we'll get to the story in a little bit. Okay, yeah. So, like, the the mechanics that were really, really good there, and it borrowed the right things from Bioshock in terms of, like, having the, the vigors, but they're not vigors this time. Like, having a shield was a nice improvement, I think, because sometimes at Bioshock, I, I don't know if you can ever play this game and not get hit once. I think it's impossible. I'm sure someone has figured out a way to do it, but it seems impossible. So, like, the shield is kind of like a nice thing to have there as well, but the momentum of the gameplay, I thought, was a lot more intense this time around, and that really stuck out to me. Yeah, it, it. I prefer Bioshock Infinite's like wide open spaces. I keep hitting my microphone. <laughs> I prefer the wide open spaces <laughs> as opposed to like Rapture's like tight like corridors and like you you break out into bigger you know two story rooms some of the times. But with Infinite, you really have like your your exploit on the rail system, which is fantastic. Holden, I I I uh, echo you on that. Uh, that's fantastic, and I really just enjoy the brighter scene. Even though there are some dark, you know, dark parts to it, but I enjoy mm -hmm. the brighter. And Rapture is beautiful, uh, you know, on its own. But I, I think I prefer the style of Infinite to the first two Bioshock games for sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, love I agree Crows. with. I agree Murder with Crows. you both on like the the mechanics of the the skyhooks and all that kind of stuff was really dope. Being able to jump off of those things and just like instantly kill an enemy on the ground was yeah. super satisfying. Uh, I also like the verticality and how much that played into like all the different things you could do and ways that you could tackle a situation. Like I could sit on the ground and I could use my vigors to light a pile of oil on fire. I could electrocute someone sitting in water like I could in Bioshock, but then I could also like jump up and headshot people from the skyline. I could do the skyline hook. I could jump from skyline to skyline. It was, uh, it added a lot of option and choice. Um, what did you think of the only having two guns versus previous Bioshock where you could have all of the guns as you kind of go? Um, from my, like, the trophy side of me, it was annoying because I wanted to have a bunch of guns on me to get all the trophies for. You have to kill a certain amount of people with the guns. But as far as gameplay goes, I really only used the hand cannon and the machine gun. That was it. And and so if I, I could just have those two weapons on me and I'd be good. Um, maybe it's, maybe the sniper rifle. But so, yeah, having two didn't bother me. It, it didn't bother me at all. I... I preferred it as well. I had just the shotgun and the machine gun. That's kind of like my two. I go back and forth through. I didn't really experiment with anything else unless I absolutely had to. But I, I think I preferred it because, and this is true of Bioshock as well as Bioshock Infinite, the kind of the, and this is going into the story a little bit, but the goal of the protagonist is to kind of scavenge your way through this world. And ha being able just to kind of swap out guns like that and take them off enemies felt more true to that world than having this gun ring. And so it, just, it made me buy into that world just because that subtle little mechanic change. Nice. Yeah, I was yeah. I was in the same boat as Matt, where basically it was a machine gun and the hand cannon for the last part of the game. Going in for trophies, I was knowing that I had to like kill 30 people with the sniper rifle, kill 50 people with whatever. Whenever I found a gun that seemed like it didn't show up all the time, I was like, great, I'm only using this now to get as many kills as I can, and then I'll throw it away yeah. and pick up something more common like the carbine or the machine gun or something like that. 
but yeah, I eventually, after I got all the trophies I needed to get out of those, I eventually just settled on machine gun for rapid fire, and then that hand cannon was so good. <laughs> hand cannon is so, so satisfying. Oh, get a headshot with that thing, and you're just yeah. like, I don't need to have sex again for years. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I had the same. I feel like I had the same power as the shotgun, but with more range, which is exactly I think what the, like is a perfect mix of weapon in that game. Yeah. It is. What were your favorite vigors? I already said it. Cro- oh, crows. Electric- the crows, hundred percent. Crow traps. Crows. Yeah, I love throwing the crow traps <laughs> down. It's so good, so good, and watching the guys just free. It's great because you, I like the vigors that will distract them. So you have, you know, a, um, shoot, I already forget it. When you can, uh, you can turn them to your side. What is it? Possession. 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 Possession's yeah. great, uh, but it doesn't necessarily like take their attention off you. Murder crows. They're absolutely just not paying attention to you at all, and you can kind of work the room how you see fit with that. And the traps are great, and then when you upgrade it, and you if it if a murder of crows kills an enemy, they turn into a trap, and it's just this domino effect of chaos that just works perfectly in some areas of the game. It's so good. What about nice. you guys? Electro, the electroshock was my, my default. Just especially when you can string it together and get a bunch of people like in a row. Like electrocution just paused for a second. Yeah, that was really satisfying, especially in the later game area where you don't have any ammo coming to you, and you had those like, what are there? They're like the people, the people who have like the weird metal heads and are looking around, and as soon as they see you, oh, so you're the in the atrium, boys of silence. And they see you. Yes, and then everyone else starts chasing after you. Since you don't have that much to work off of there, I would just electrocute a bunch of them, then use my shotgun to spray. Uh, damage across all of them, and that worked really, really well for me. Yeah. Um, possession, I definitely hear you that it, it it doesn't distract enemies. That actually, I should have used the crows because that's a really good point. I used the possession a lot when they were throwing like two patriots at you towards the later part of the game. Yeah. And, like I'm going to possess that patriot, and then I'll worry about this other patriot that's not possessed while my friendly patriot is fighting off guys for me. So I kind of like use possession that way a lot. Um, but that's very similar to how it worked in Bioshock. I'm pretty sure Bioshock had the same thing. Yeah, it did. Um, loved that. Those two. It was probably the most that I used. Um, the, the rest of them I didn't use too much. I kept getting new ones. Like the, the water ability where you kind of like flush people out. And like I used it once. And I'm like, that was cool. But I have this really good thing going with my electroshock right now. And I'm just going to keep doing that. I have so many <laughs> of them that I can use. So like I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I I kind of just like shotgun and uh, uh, machine gun the whole time. I just kind of went between possession and electro the entire time, and occasionally use the fireball to destroy like yeah. turrets and things like that. I um I I admittedly played the game through on easy. I had already beat the game once whenever I was on PS3. <laughs> I played it through this time on easy to sweep up most of the trophies, and then I'm going back now. I'm I'm on the 1999 mode without using dollar bill stations to try to get the platinum. Yeah, And so things were easy enough with the guns that I find myself not using the vigors that much outside of like trying to get whatever trophy was associated with them. However, towards the end of the game, I found a real appreciation for Undertow. Like there were times when, when you're on like, when you're coming from, on your way to Comstocks, and you have like all the different airships that are just coming down beside you as you ascend, and you have to take care of like four guys on this one. You can literally just like Undertow and all five of them fly off that ship at the same time. They're yeah, super useful. And then the next ship comes, and you're just like, Bloop. oh, they're all dead. Yep, yep. And it, it's also really helpful. Um, 
at the very end, the the very very last fight. By the way, if you're listening to this, obviously spoilers. If you haven't played the games yet, go play the games. And this game has a ton of spoilers. Uh, the very last fight, which is just like an onslaught of airships and and uh, patriots and all these kind of things, you can take. You can get up at the very very top of the ship. And you can use Undertow to get all the Patriots and just bring them all up there with you so they can't attack the ship and do damage to it. And then you just jump oh. down, fight all the little guys, and then you can just, like, toss the the fire thing up there and just, like, destroy them or possess them. So, like, I found Undertow to maybe be my favorite one towards the end of the game, but the rest of the game I didn't really use most of them. Because that part was hard. Yes. That was a really yeah. hard part of the yeah. game. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to doing I'm, that on 1999 mode. It's tough. Well, I was playing hard the entire time, and I'm like, you know, this actually isn't that hard. I found this was actually a lot easier than Bioshock was, and then I got to that part of like, fuck it, I'm going to normal. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I played it on uh, hard, and I wish I had done it the way you did it, Chad. I wish I had done it on easy and then gone back for 1999, because now I feel like I have to play, you know what I mean? I have to play it twice through, like on a really hard mode, and... And I, you know, mm-hmm. I, because I, I cleaned up most of the trophies going through on, on hard, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the story of Bioshock Infinite, which is, I think, where it shines, mm-hmm. uh, where everybody seems to like it. Holden didn't like the ending, though. Um, what did you think of the of, ending? Yes. What did you think of actually having the protagonist this is a departure from bioshock one and two where you actually have a protagonist that speaks and he has a mission like he is a character voiced by troy baker along with having elizabeth like a companion for the first time uh who interestingly enough voiced by courtney draper and elizabeth was also inspired by alex vance from half-life 2 half-life alex just came out this week as well interestingly enough happy birthday half-life alex you're born um so what did you think (laughs) about having like an actual speaking protagonist in terms of this uh, this kind of narrative that we had. I didn't even remember that Bioshocks didn't have had a silent protagonist. I totally had forgotten that. Yeah, I'm playing Bioshock Infinite, kind of going, yeah, the protagonist is talking. I never really even thought about it too much. It just felt natural and in the world and totally great. Especially since it helps with the relationship between, uh, I almost said Comstock, uh, between uh, Dewitt and and Elizabeth. Spoilers. I guess I'm talking to wait the same person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we already said spoilers. Uh, I loved that you have your, your character, the character you're playing, like speaks and speaks to the environment, speaks to other characters, and especially Elizabeth. The back and forth between Booker and Elizabeth is fantastic, and I thought they did a great job with the um, the voice acting, obviously, because two pros right there, but the. Like when they're going through the story, Booker and Elizabeth, they have their ups and downs as far as like their relationship. And there are some parts where it's very tense. And whenever Booker is talking to Elizabeth during those parts, you can feel that. Uh, And then there's other parts where there's levity and you can also feel that as well. And it, it never felt out of place. Like it never felt like. And I think they did a good job of mixing up the quips, like for when Elizabeth unlocks, like does a lock pick, because they don't do like the fun, like jovial ones where she like is basically just like ragging on how easy it is to unlock these lock picks when she's mad at Booker. And I thought that that was great. And and Booker just like the whole time this character, you're you're unraveling just as much about Elizabeth as you are about Booker and and surround and all the characters around you, like as the story goes on. And I thought that like. They did a good job. Like Bioshock One and Two, the characters you're playing are very mysterious, and they—I mean—they stay pretty mysterious. With Booker, he, you get 
you get all the way down to the core, the center of the onion, if you will, with that. So I, I thought it was great. And Booker's one of my favorite video game characters of all time. I have his pop figure somewhere up in this room somewhere. He's awesome. I love Booker. Yeah, Booker was great. I I really loved. It's I could not see this game being done without having him talk because you have to have his involvement. Seeing as like the villain is him as well, you have to have him talking through and like discovering that on his own as you go. You can't just have someone telling you, "Oh, by the way, you are me." And then like, what? Um, So you have to have him discover that, which I think being on that journey with him was really really interesting. Mm -hmm. But also, I loved hearing his voice and Comstock voice, and they were different enough that. Like, it didn't give up the game yeah. right at the beginning. Totally. Like, hearing them over the... Like, being able to hear that, uh, I felt like, helped keep the secret a little bit longer, which is great. Uh, but let's go to the narrative. So, y- you're Booker DeWitt. You are in your office building. You're a PI, and you're settling a debt if you go bring back this girl. So, you're on your way. You find a lighthouse. You're these two mysterious people... Uh, the Lutesses are bringing you to this lighthouse. You end up in the sky out of nowhere, and then suddenly you're on the search for this girl who's been trapped to bring her back. Um, this narrative for me was one of the coolest things, not only because it takes place in a, in a world that I think is... The, the fact that someone imagined all of this, the yeah. world of Columbia, a floating city in the sky where a bunch of giant racists and bigots seceded from the rest of the nation, <laughs> yeah. and then praise the founding fathers basically as prophets, and then there's Comstock who himself is basically a direct link to God, and the fact, and then you're jumping around on skyhooks and traversing, and there's vigors and all, like all the fact that this world came out of somebody's brain blows my mind. It's so magical. I freaking love it. Yeah. Um, but then you go and you take this amazing, amazingly like carefully threaded narrative of this guy going in, figuring out there's multiple timelines, multiple like it all diverges from him being baptized, and then in one timeline he says, "Yep, I'm going to be baptized." And in one timeline he doesn't, and that's the separation. From there he decides to become, "I'm a new man. I'm Father Comstock." Big religious push. He creates what he he's trying to take down in the other narrative. And then he yeah. doesn't take a, a baptism. He becomes Booker DeWitt. He gives away his child to settle away, to settle a debt. And then he finds out his child is the same one that he's trying to rescue from the other timeline. Like, I was so blown away by this narrative when I found out that, oh, my God, we're the same person. And I see the lighthouses for the first time. And I see all the lighthouses in the distance. And there's, there's always a lighthouse. And then I think back and I'm like, oh, my God, Bioshock 1 and 2. And then there's a lighthouse. This is so cool. How it kind of ties it together. Didn't even yeah. know Burial at Sea was a thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, it all just—it blows my mind how well it was woven together, how it was held as a surprise to the end for me, at least. That I didn't even see it coming until we get to some of those later parts with the lighthouses going from universe to universe, and and I felt like it was done in such a way, especially with the Lutes characters, um, kind of weaving themselves into your story in random spots and and what they choose to tell you and what they choose not to tell you at the same time. I thought mm-hmm. it was brilliantly done, mm-hmm. and I'd love to hear Matt what you liked about it, but I'd also love to hear Holden what you didn't like about it. So I should clarify something. When I'm saying like the ending, I guess I kind of pictured like Burial Sea as the ending of this story. I liked how the infinite ended. That was good. It didn't quite hit me as much as like Bioshock, Would You Kindly, and all that stuff hit me. I thought that for me was a better revelation that, that just impacted me more. It's the Burial at Sea stuff that I am more critical of. Gotcha. But like that, like the jumping of the timelines, I thought that was really cool because it 
I'll get to we'll get to burial at sea when we get to burial at sea. But I did like that part of the ending. Although it was a little rushed and, and it was very fast paced at the end. Like they just went to it and they just kept sticking to it for like a good like ten minutes. And I'm like, this is a fifteen hour game. Holy shit, that was a lot for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the two parts of the storytelling that really stood out for me were the Lutes characters, absolutely Chad, like that I looked forward to those meetings when you met with those characters and they just randomly would show up playing the piano and, and whatever Th that was great and also the other one is when you get when booker gets not uh not teleported but when you when he wakes up in his office and all of those with with some with some of the lutes characters sometimes elizabeth is there sometimes the baby is there i those were all very interesting ways to tell the story and i and i loved it and also gave me like it gave me chills a lot of the times like cuz you're you can tell that there's a lot of dread inside of booker dewitt he's he, you know in a lot of ways he's he's trying to bury away his past and you know at the bottom of a uh, you know the typical pi you know bottom of a bottle you know he's drinking himself away and and i just thought that that was it was really shown in those in those little scenes and i thought that that was that was just like really um it really drew me in uh those those two the the let the what are the what are the twins names again Lutes. the, the Lutes characters and the parts of him as pi office one thing about the lutes people i didn't quite catch right off the bat is that they are not they're not necessarily twins they are the same person from two different timelines yeah in one timeline <laughs> oh, she was born that. yeah she was born in one in one scenario one branch of the timeline and she ends up becoming this brilliant quantum physicist and creates the particle that then makes columbia possible and then in another timeline she's born as a man and she goes and does completely different things and then like they happen to find each other he was able to like figure out the tears and all these kind of stuff so like they were able to find each other and then yeah. they travel around they were they were dead in their universes which is why they're able to travel around kind of as ghosts uh, but not exist in that one version of columbia as we'll find out through burial at sea is a thing yeah okay that's what i was so that was the thing i was really confused about so thank you for explaining that i wasn't quite sure about those two characters i'm like what their deal was how they met that was that explicitly laid out to us or is that yes in the comstock, comstock had them killed in the version okay. of columbia that we we, we experience are, in, in we the main experiencing game. Experiencing in the game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the part of the game that I loved the most and just had this like, whoa, this is fucking epic, is when you are working with the gunsmith and you have to go to get a tool for him and you tear, um, create the tear, you go through, but it's a different version where DeWitt is like taking over. Uh, Columbia, and there's like the big. I'm like, this is fucking bananas. This is so cool. That yeah. was yeah. probably my favorite like moment or level in any Bioshock game. Yeah. I just felt this because you go from like you watch uh, Rapture in in the first game, and you're like, oh, like how did this happen? How did it, you know, um, you know, uh, how did how did all this occur? How did it go to shit like that? I mean, you yeah. know about the splicers and all that kind of stuff and how that happened, but. You don't get to see it play out, and I felt like this is a kind of a cool way of saying, "Hey, like this is how a world goes from Columbia, which is, I mean, it obviously it's a fucking mess because it's built on really bad values, but it has to go from this more or less like peaceful like community to insanity, mm -hmm. and it was cool to kind of see that kind of play out. 
um, awesome moment just to see how it flipped like that. Yeah, really cool. And and that goes back to us talking about how you know Booker is this character. You know him. You know what he looks like. You know what he sounds like. Mm -hmm. And for you to come out of that tear and then be walking around the city and see these gigantic posters, billboard sized posters of his face like leading the resistance. You know, in Colombia <laughs> yep. is awesome. Yeah. It makes that it makes that payout way better, way bigger, and way more have way more of an impact. So yeah, that just goes back to you know Booker's this mm -hmm. he you know you know who he is he this character in this world. Yeah. I really want them now to go back. I mean, hopefully this is the next Bioshock game is going back to Rapture and just showing how it went to shit. Like the game takes place when it's nice and peaceful, and then how the splicers go in and take over where you oh we get play so close to seeing that and. And yeah. Barrel at Sea Part Two. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> um, before we before we move on to talking about Burial at Sea, I wanted to bring in. We have a couple of people who have thoughts on the game. Uh, here's one from Dallas, who's in the Twitch chat right now. Dallas says, "Here are my thoughts. Downloading the collection through PSN was terribly and unnecessarily <laughs> confusing. <laughs> Didn't actually play any of it because Chad oh. said I had to play the first one before playing Infinite. <laughs> so it's Chad's fault I didn't play it. Thanks, Chad. Uh, you're welcome. You don't have to play the first one. No, you absolutely should play the first one before you play you Bioshock Infinite. You definitely should Infinite. play the first one, yeah. You definitely and you 100% should, should play yeah. it before Burial No, you should play the first one before you play Infinite 2. Um, I don't agree. But okay. The second one is from Alex. Alex wrote in an email with his thoughts on just Bioshock Infinite, not Burial at Sea. He says, hey, Raph crew, it's the one and only Alexander Casino writing in my thoughts on Bioshock Infinite. Personally, Bioshock Infinite is a great example of a game that doesn't do anything in particular that I think is overly bad or problematic, but that I nevertheless feels, feel falls short of greatness. Personally, I think the large part of what keeps me from loving it is how much grander Irrational Games wanted Infinite to be, an open-world-ish shooter whose story direction could be significantly influenced by choices made by the player, and how much comparatively quainter in terms of scope it ended up being. In my opinion, I think I'm most disappointed by the minuscule amount of lore behind Columbia's origins and ideology. I felt that I had much less of a sense of what Columbia and its inhabitants were about compared to Rapture and its inhabitants, but that's just me. That being said, I played through Infinite again on 1999 mode after I played it for the first time so that I could get that platinum, and while it didn't change my mind about the main most issues with the game, it did make me appreciate the intricacies of its combat system a fair bit more. In particular, I found the charge vigor, which I had written off in my first playthrough, as being mostly useless, to be really effective in 1999 mode after a really tough combat encounter forced me to use the give the vigor a second look. So yeah, to me, Bioshock Infinite was no masterpiece, but it's undeniably well made, and I think that its combat system deserves more praise than it gets. Um, that's thank you, Alex, definitely for writing in. I 100%. I'm I'm only at two hours into the 1999 mode, and I found that like, oh my god, these vigors that I thought were completely useless are now going to be so useful. Uh, I 100% agree with you on that one. But the the, the lore what is in, 1999 mode. 1999 is the super hard mode that you open up at the end of the game. If you, Once you beat it, you unlock 1999 mode. Or you can just enter the Konami code on the menu screen and uh, unlock it too. But what, what makes it harder though? Is it just more damage? Like what is it? Yeah, makes it more damage. Um, you take more damage, you get more. You give more damage. That's about it. Okay. Traditional okay. difficulty gotcha. scaling. Um, what surprised me though is, that, is the uh, point you made about the minuscule amount of lore behind Columbia's origins and ideology. As I was playing for the trophy, I had to get all of the audio logs and things like that, and I felt like there was so much there. 
Like the richness, especially, mm-hmm. and again, we'll get to it in a second, burial at sea, like that revelation behind all of the lore. But uh, I felt like there was so much there to pick up on that if you're looking for it and if you're listening to all the voxophones, um, there's a lot to uncover. Yeah. Let's jump into burial at sea. So this is something that I had not ever played before. This was new to me. Just like when we played Bioshock 2, I had never played Minerva's Den, but I played it for barf. Um, Burial at Sea, as we mentioned, was DLC. It's in two parts, and it takes you back to Rapture. Part one, you play as Booker, a different Booker. This is Elizabeth waking up uh, as the last Elizabeth after the events of Bioshock Infinite. Um, She's she's trying to go kill all the... She's found one more Comstock that exists and one more Booker that exists... Uh, and she's trying to convince the Booker to go kill the Comstock. Uh, you go back to Rapture, and I thought it was really, really cool. I've always talked about, like we talked about on the show, what would make a good TV show for a video game? I was like, I want to see Rapture in its heyday. I want to see it before everything goes to shit. I want to see how cool it is, and then I want to see it go to shit. I thought that would be a really cool thing. So I love being yeah. able to see Rapture completely undestroyed, people going, like, to stores and restaurants and things like that and like v- not vigors what are they called in bioshock oh shit what are they called what are they called dust uh, splicers plasmids plasmids oh plasmids yeah like plasmids like being a common thing and uh, i thought that was incredibly cool to see uh i didn't so much love the gameplay of the first burial at sea though mm. but i did like kind of the twist at the end you get to the end of that that story and it's all about Elizabeth trying to kill Booker himself because he uh, he let that ver- God. It's so it's all so complicated. That version yeah. of Elizabeth, he her head was cut off by the portal in that version of the timeline instead of her pinky, which gave her powers. Yeah, uh, and so she was trying to kill him for that mistake. Yes. But also, so he he was the last. He was the last end, right? He was the last Dewitt, the last Booker Dewitt, right? It, and at the very right. very end, you find out that he's actually Comstock, but he's taken yeah. on. He's when he moved to Rapture, he bro- took on this new personality to try to forget the guilt of killing his daughter yes. by cutting off her head through the portal. And right, so he took a different route than this the whole other. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very cool. It uh, it, I. I, I think I, I like the, the gameplay of Burial at Sea Part 2 more than I liked Part 1. But the story in Part 1, was su- the end was such a gut punch that I think I, I don't know. I, I can't say I liked it better than Part 2, but I thought it was really, thought it was really, really good. And going back and playing in Rapture after playing, I played Burial at Sea Part 1 right after I finished Infinite, the main story. And so going, like going from Columbia and then going to Rapture was so awesome like yeah i had said earlier i liked columbia more than i liked rapture but it doesn't mean that like you know it's a, it felt like an old friend and going back to rapture was so cool and to see all and like you said i didn't know that they had to remake all of that for this game which is super cool but it all yeah. felt exactly like i remember remember it from one and two so that was that was just to go back in there and continue the story of rapture was really cool i enjoyed it yeah, and to see uh, to see what's his face, the crazy guy, who's all obsessed with like art and making people dance and then murdering them. <laughs> oh yeah, what's like he's Cohen? already a psychopath, yeah. but then to see him like 
it's still kind of socially acceptable in Rapture before they go crazy. <laughs> like, that was really cool to see him and uh, have yeah. that little side quest there. Well, I had this... In that, in that scene where he's doing the painting and he's having the people dance in front of them, but because they didn't do it the way he wanted to or didn't invoke the emotion he wanted to, he just electrocutes them and kills them. <laughs> I had to remember, I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. You can do anything you want in Rapture. There are no laws. Like, yeah. you can do whatever you want. And I'm like, that's so fucked up. <laughs> that is so fucked up that he'd yeah. be allowed to do that. Yep. Um, but he was. So with Barry Let's See... When I was playing Bioshock Infinite, I, what I liked about it is I'm like, oh, Bioshock is, this is how I was interpreting it while playing it at least, Bioshock is doing what like Final Fantasy and Legend of Zelda do, which is that like, here's a new game, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the other games. Uh, right. There are elements that are the same, like plasmids and vigors are similar. Exactly. And yeah. then as soon as Barrel C started to like combine everything together, I'm like, no, don't explain it. Why are you doing this? And I just, I really, really didn't. <laughs> like that i didn't need those connections i didn't need atlas to get this like piece of paper that said would you kindly on it to like explain that that's how he was like i didn't need that and it kind of like now when i go back and play bioshock i feel like i'm gonna be like oh yeah atlas is telling me all this because elizabeth handed him a piece of paper at the very end of the game (laughs) and oh big daddies and songbirds are kind of similar because there was a portal that connected both of those worlds i'm just like i didn't need any of that and I'm actually a little upset that they did. I, I it for me it didn't work. And I really liked this idea of like Bioshock is like this set of gameplay mechanics and like a certain like type of world building mindset that I think is really cool and unique. Uh, that they kind of got from System Shock. That I really want to go back and play System Shock because of that. And I, I, the intermingling didn't work for me. Like, now I'm like, I used to be like, was it, I think a few months ago we were talking about how they announced Bioshock 4, they're officially working on it, and how I'm like, oh, how cool would it be if they, like, went to, like, because uh, Elon Musk kind of made this reference, what if they did, like, a space station on Mars, it's like the first colony and it goes to shit, and, like, do something like that, like, that would be kind of cool. But I'm like, well, they really, I don't know if they could do that, because I don't know, like, w- how this interdimensional connecting of everything works and I don't know it kind of made me a little less excited for the future of Bioshock I agree with you that I love that Bioshock has uh, a way of world building that is unmatched and they made this completely realized underwater city and culture and society in Bioshock Infinite with the music and everything like there and then they made something completely different in Columbia like polar opposites and the sky has completely different politics and all this kind of stuff up there um, sorry, I mentioned music. I just want to give a shout out to the music of, of Columbia, the music of Bioshock so Infinite. Mm-hmm. All of the like the covers that are like a little anachronistic. They're like not quite in the right timeline, but they're like barbershop versions of shit. Or there's the yeah. girls just want to have fun on the accordion on the beach, and it's just like shout out to that. Anyway, it's worlds <laughs> being completely different. But and if we do see Bioshock Four, I think because of Barry Let's See Part Two, it has to be something completely different. Because Barrel at Sea Part 2, I think, takes this trilogy of games, or really it's actually just the first game in Infinite, and it makes it Booker DeWitt's story. Like, one happens because of a choice. All of it comes back to whether or not Booker DeWitt, after uh, the Battle of Wounded Knee, decides if he's going to get baptized or not. Everything in Bioshock Infinite and 1 happens because of that choice. So that's all tied together there. And I think there's no way to weave in another narrative elsewhere in a completely different Thing that's all influenced by that as expertly as I think it was done. 
But what I did, I was on the complete opposite side of things. I was like, I see similarities in these things, and I just figured it's a gameplay thing. Like, oh, yeah, Bioshock is certain things. You have powers, and you have guns that work a certain way. You have big metal, uh, like, armored enemies that are hard. Like, that's just, like, a staple of what it is. But it's to see story connections, and, that, like, they unfold environmentally as well. Like, you first get to the display case where you see the big daddy, like, him trying to recreate a big daddy, and then um, the bird next to it. And it's like... Oh, they're kind of borrowing from each other. And then you find out that he, the portal's left open from Elizabeth, and they found a way to open it up and work together and collaborate. And then knowing that, that in the future, in Rapture, and then way back in the past in Columbia, like they were creating the same stuff from sea slugs, and he was like going to get the atom from sea slugs. And they found out, man, if you're just making an injectable up in Rapture, it's 10 times more effective, and you don't have to have as much atom, and it's so much less effective than the vigors that you guys are using in Columbia. Like to see all of these things being like brought together and explaining each other I thought was really, really cool. But then to see how Elizabeth works into all of that as well. Like, because one day her pinky gets cut off in a portal, like all of this fucking starts, I thought was so incredibly cool. Uh, and, to, and to see that even the would you kindly and like seeing her on the airplane, I'm, I'm still not quite sure. I don't think she's actually on the airplane, but she gets to that where she has that line where she's like, I've seen all possibilities or I've seen through all I've seen behind all the doors so she can see everything that happened in the future past and like she can't currently do it but she can remember her past memories of her doing that so I think she's just like looking at the original guy in Bioshock on the plane do this thing like it fucking blows my mind how expertly crafted it had to be in order to make all of those connections make sense in retrospect like I don't yes. think I don't think they had Elizabeth in mind when they were creating Bioshock One, but to tie that all together afterwards is incredible to me. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel stretched or pressed in there at all. It feels totally natural it, for, to me. It feels totally natural, and I just loved how they wrapped it all together. And I think you're right. This is all this is Booker's story, <clears throat> and this all. I think wraps up in a nice bow. So whatever comes after this, I would expect it to be something totally. Di- I, I think it would be something totally different. But borrowing, like you said, holding like the the same game mechanics, some of the same mechanics, but you know, yeah. somewhere else in a different story. If I don't think it would have bothered me if this was Bioshock Three. I think because it was Bioshock Infinite, I'm like, oh, this is a separate thing. And so to be kind of felt like forced in like oh we're gonna make this dlc and by the way it's just gonna combine everything together it reminded me of two things both are star wars related um the first is midichlorians it just reminded me that midichlorian conversation where i'm just like i didn't need to know about midichlorians i just didn't need to know about it it doesn't (laughs) ruin star wars but it it you know it was a little too much for me but then do you guys know what george lucas's plan was for episode seven eight and nine uh you guys heard the rumors the the rumors are that he was doing this thing called the wills and the wills are this like super, you know, divine alien race that are like microscopic and control the force, therefore control all events that are happening because they are the will of the, the universe. Okay. And like everything in the past six movies is supposed to be explained by what the wills were trying to make happen because they were the ones who made Luke powerful to bring balance to the force. And I'm like that would have been awful. It was so bad if that, if that that had happened. And like I couldn't not think about that while I was playing Burial at Sea. Um, but I totally get like why those moments are a really cool moment for a fan where you walk in and you see the songbird being 
uh, like basically programmed to respond like certain ways. Basically, like, I can totally see how those connections are really, really cool for super fans of the franchise. I think for me, I was always more taken by the gameplay of the games, even though like I wanted to see Rapture and kind of how that like evolution occurred. Like I wanted to see Rapture as this contained world. And when I think about like Rapture, I think about Columbia, it's like obviously these far-fetched locations that could never actually happen, but because it's so well realized and executed, I'm like, oh, and I look in the ocean, Rapture could be down there. When I look at the sky, like Columbia could be up there. And as soon as like interdimensional connections to the things, and I'm like, it's not real to me anymore. Like it doesn't have that, like it could be like in the world that I live in. And I, I don't know, for me, that, that was lost. But I'm, I'm, here's the thing. I'm really glad for most people didn't have that reaction. It seems like <laughs> I'm kind of in the minority on that one because uh, this is a really important franchise, I think, in gaming. And so, like, the fact that it didn't have, like, a midichlorian moment that <laughs> ruins, like, the fan, like, uh, the, not the fan base, but, like, ruined it for so many fans. And then it made Star Wars this really divisive, like, obnoxious thing sometimes on the internet. Like, yeah. really glad that didn't happen with Bioshock. For me personally, like... I could do without Burial at Sea. I will just play Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite. And I'll play the next one, too. Oh, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I feel like Burial at Sea is so crucial to the story of all three games, not even just Infinite. I think it's so crucial. Um, uh, yeah, and you and I were having a discussion like, it's weird that it's DLC. But it's it also weird. not weird that it's DLC. <laughs> yeah, right. It it, it it doesn't feel it feels weird that it's DLC and also not because it would it would felt weird being attached to the game and you just continue and play that after you finish the events of the main game of Bioshock. You know what I mean? But also how would you serve this to the people that want to play it? Like or how do you fit it in the story like that? And I think I guess DLC is the way you do it. I just I just don't know how to say it otherwise, you know? Like that's just and that's how they did it, and that's how we, you know, we consumed it. And I think that that's, you know, it, it couldn't have been attached to it. Bottom line, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm um, interested to know how guys... many people out there are like they haven't played Burial at Sea. That they played Infinite, just like me. Like they played Infinite, and they thought, man, that was a really cool yeah. contained story. And they have no idea how it ties into the rest of the franchise because Up until it's two DLC. Weeks ago. Exactly. Up until yeah, two me weeks too. Ago. I hadn't. I haven't even heard of it. I like when I played Bioshock in 2013. Yeah, it must be 2013, right? When it came out, I just played it, and that was it. And I didn't really have my ear to the ground as far as game news, and so the DLC just went right past me, and that was it. And then now that I were playing it now, you're like also play Burial at Sea one and two, and I'm like, okay, like what, what could this be? And I find it so crucial, and I'm like kicking myself for not have you know, experienced it sooner. So, And that's the weird thing for me, too, is it feels like, and that's what I was saying, like, I wasn't crisp with the ending. I had to remind myself, like, that, that wasn't the ending of Infinite. Like, that was a separate experience. But it very mm -hmm. much feels like a continuation of the story of Infinite, so much so that I'm like, I don't think that the, you could have just tacked on Burial at Sea to the end of Infinite because of no. the huge gameplay differences <laughs> between the no, two. Yeah. It would have it would have been like a really odd like people like to criticize like Dark Knight for example for having that kind of fourth act, even though it's a really successful fourth act in my opinion. It, this would have been like an odd fourth act at the end of the game pace as it was, but I think they could have managed it in a way that they kept that pace going and dealt didn't go into stealth mechanics didn't kind of weaken elizabeth's character in terms of gameplay compared to like booker dewitt and like kind of just kept bioshock 
in Rapture like they were kind of doing. I think that could have worked better. I think it's part of it. It's just it's so odd to me. It's a separate experience when it's so like, I mean, my complaints aside, like it is necessary for the lore that they are going for in this franchise. It's very odd. Whereas you compare that to Minerva's Den, which is a completely separate, unrelated story that just right. happens to exist in the world. I don't think Bioshock 1 had any DLC, did it? I don't think it so. It had challenge rooms, I believe. Like, no yeah. no story okay. DLC for sure. I, okay. I would love to know where the creators... Like, I would love to know when bur- the bur- the events during Burial at Sea 1 and 2 came up to the creators. And I would love to yeah. know, like, w- like, where it all fit in in the creation of Infinite. Mm-hmm. I would love to know that creative process. And maybe that video is out there somewhere in an interview or whatever. But Like, when they were storyboarding infinite did they have this like guys we're gonna make a separate story that ties everything together or were they just like did they finish infinite obviously they didn't finish infinite and then nine months later they had dlc that they were like surprise we've come up with something brand new off the top of our heads right but yeah i would love to know (laughs) when they decided they were going to make that that connection i want to take a second and talk about su chong if that's okay yeah yeah so su chong Suchong gets brought up in Burial Sea Part 2, and a lot of the game is spent looking for him, you know, getting the hair sample for him, uh, and then going through his laboratories, right? It, it, that, that's, that's what we're going through at the last, is his laboratories. I yeah, had the such department, a good time. Fink's de- department store, it, not Frank, right. um, but yeah, the department uh, store, and then Fontaine. he's like saying, he said, we found the tear here. I'm now turning your department store into my laboratory because this tear is in the middle of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had such a good time, like, walking through his labs and screenshotting all of the chalkboards and yes. reading all the writings. Like, I had never done that. And one of the ones that stood out to me was a board where they were designing three vigors or three plasmids that were not ever brought to market and the notes are hilarious i'm going to read three of them for you so one of them is amnesia and the byline is forget everything you know and then marketing note how would how do you plan to sell this and which i just thought was funny and then there was another one plant peeper the byline is read the inner thoughts of your house plant and then the marketing note below it is no no demand for this type of product exclamation point and then the last one which i find <laughs> hilarious is dead ringer Byline is reanimate dead loved ones and pets. And then the marketing note is no one wants a moldy puppy, which I, <laughs> I, I almost dropped my controller from laughing so hard. I was like, nobody wants a moldy puppy. That's so good. Uh, You're uh, right. And though. Then, like, yeah. We talk about games like Control where I'm like, man, I want to read everything and listen to all the diaries. But this is a game where like those aren't even... Those aren't even like notes that you pick up or an audio thing that you pick up and listen to. They're just like part of the world. And I found myself just yeah. reading the walls everywhere that I went and looking what's on the desks like, totally and how does that fit in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. And then you're going through and you're seeing, like you were saying before, you see the first iterations of the Big Daddy suit and the smaller version of Songbird. And then mm. you see the large version of Songbird. Um, like the the suit, I guess, essentially that does like a superhuman gigantic person wear that. Do we ever get the answer to that? There's a a I, crosscut section. Of so it, there's and you a, see that it's a person. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I think. First, they were you see the gorilla, the giant gorilla that yes, they're trying right. to figure out how to imprint on uh, the girl. 
But then you see, yes. you're right, it's like the cross-section of the songbird, and there's the machine, like the, the machine where if you pump the thing that blows the air, then it makes the songbird do this little thing with its head. And then you see the diagram on the chalkboard of like the Da Vinci yes. man, half of its man, half of its songbird. I think eventually it is a man inside songbird operating it like a giant puppet. Right. And he's, so he's wonder, been brainwashed like that, and, and imprinted. Right. And, then how, how did the music work then? Because the music can tell the songbird what to do. Uh, I think that's, that's all part of the brainwashing. Into the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 So I thought that was his Su Chong's laboratory was awesome. The payoff for when Su Chong gets killed brutally, like by the big daddy um drill. After I yeah. mean you get you get that satisfaction right after you listen to an audio log where Su Chong tells its subject to break a puppy's neck. And I was like, this I have the notes. Yeah. Right, so I, I said, Su Chong audio diary, break that puppy's neck. And then, then my next words are, oh fuck you. And then he, and then right <laughs> after that he gets absolutely fucking murdered by that uh big daddy, which was so perfect. Like I wanted that yeah. at that moment and he got it. Yeah, you don't hurt puppies to get away with it. <laughs> no, a big daddy will come after you. To. That was a tough like uh, like Su Chong, like yeah, I was like, I okay, your laboratory was fascinating. It was amazing. But that was the turning point when I heard that diary. I was like, oh no, you're gonna fucking die. <laughs> but there are two things about that moment yeah. where he gets killed that are really interesting to me. One is that like that's the moment that big daddies learned how to imprint with little sisters. Yep. And it's all caused because of Elizabeth in that moment. And it's nothing that Su Chong did in any of his experiments or anything like that. But then another little interesting fact that I read on the internet that I totally forgot about is that that entire scene where he gets killed by the Big Daddy is an audio log that you find in, in Bioshock 1. So you listen to that scene oh. happen in Bioshock 1, and then we get to see oh, it play out from back. Elizabeth's perspective in Bioshock Infinite. I love that. I love that. I have to go back so freaking and, cool. and listen. To, that's awesome. That's so great. I, and so I'm glad you brought that up because that brings up the whole other thing where you're going through. I think there was no, not not in part one, but part two. You're going through, and Elizabeth is talking to a Booker Dewitt that doesn't exist. It's just right. it's just her mind talking back to her because all the Booker Dewitts have been extinguished. There are no more Booker Dewitts. There are no more Comstocks. It's just her mind talking to herself. And when she needs him, he comes and, and talks in some, some parts. But there's great moments where you're seeing the backside, almost like, you know, like you're seeing from the one-way mirror events that happened in Infinite. That was when right. you go back to get the hair sample. That Yeah, when you're in the elevator going amazing. Uh, and you see the other yes. two, like you and her waiting. And the, the fact that the, yep. the way and they describe time travel, where they're like, what happens if we run into each other? She's like, we won't run into each other because we didn't back then. It's like, oh, that's fucking setting up this world and the way time travel works in this yes. world. It's yes. So cool. Anything else you guys have to yeah. say about this, this yep. game? Love that. That, 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 that is a... Go for it. Me? Oh, that that was yeah. uh, you can always you can always say like you can always tell how time travel is if, it, if it's handled well or n not that great with that. Like you were able to they were able to explain the rules of that that time travel in just that one sentence. And it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like shoehorned in there. It was just that is the facts. And you and then, then for right from there, you get it. You understand. So, yeah, but that was great. Anything else about Bioshock Infinite, guys? 
Uh, no, I think I said everything. I wanna I wanna shout out uh, Noah Caldwell Gervais. He has a YouTube channel. Um, if you just search Noah Caldwell, it'll come up. But he has a great video on explaining um, Elizabeth's like the inner monologue she has with Booker and the deeper meaning to it and all that. And I thought it was a great video. It's hard, it would be hard for me to summarize here, but I would highly suggest to go, if you're interested in that thing, uh, that sort of thing, go watch it. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating. So, Dope. That's about it. Well, thank you, Matt, for joining great. us on our discussion of Bioshock Infinite and Burial at Sea. Uh, next month, the month of April, you all voted. We Thanks are playing Yoshi's Island Super Mario World 2. Yeah! Um, so break that out on your Switch with your Nintendo Online subscription. It'll be the first time you've ever used that. Uh, <laughs> you can also break it out on your Super <laughs> Nintendo Classic uh, or however else you might have it. So that's what we're playing. Uh, and that's it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Do you think it's too similar to Bioshock Infinite? Yes. A hundred percent. Might be too similar. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>